Well, good morning, uh, brothers and sisters. It is uh, so good to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, for those visiting, I am not Dale Van Dyke. I am obviously a lot taller than Dale. Um, so uh, my name is Michael Scout, as was mentioned. I'm a church planter through Harvest uh, over in Zealand and just delighting in what the Lord is doing there and just, uh, again, want to thank you for your prayers and all the ways that you supported that work. Um, just really uh, so good to, to work together in tandem and partnership. So continue to pray for us as the Lord uh, continues to work in us there. Uh, I invite you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to a couple of places. First, Matthew chapter 6. And then we're going to look uh, primarily at another passage in the Gospels, that of Luke chapter 22. But first of all, Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 5, uh, we've been studying uh, the Lord's Prayer together at Grace Fellowship and just going through the, uh, the line of the prayer and the petitions in the prayer. So uh, this morning, start at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And we're focusing on the third petition, your will be done. This is God's holy word. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then if you would turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 22. Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's ask God's blessing this morning. Father, would you now pry open our hearts? Would it be, oh Father, that this would be more than just uh, information, but that you would give a message to us, 
through your life-giving word this morning, a message that comes from Christ himself, and that you would transform us. You would transform the way that we think and that which we love, that you would conform our wills to yours. We are weak and needy, and we ask for your help through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, no doubt for many of you and for perhaps most of you, uh, you have prayed this prayer that uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray when uh, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. You've prayed this particular petition hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's a prayer most of us are uh, very familiar with, so much so that I think it's a temptation for us to actually commit the very thing that Jesus talked about uh, in Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount before he gets to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, sometimes we can empty up, uh, offer up empty phrases like the pagans do, ironically, when we're actually using the Lord's Prayer because we, uh, we're so used to the cadence, we're so used to praying, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and uh, we don't always stop to think about what we're actually praying. Do you realize, do I realize how dangerous uh, this prayer is? Paul Tripp said, this is simply a prayer that cannot be answered without the tearing down and rebuilding of many things in our lives. But as dangerous as the prayer is, it's more liberating. It's liberating. It's freeing to completely throw ourselves into the sovereign arms of God, our Heavenly Father. I've chosen Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane as our primary text. This morning, the one who teaches us to pray this way is the one who understands what it means to pray this way better than anyone else. Not simply because he's God and this is his word, but because he, in this darkest of places, prayed this prayer and submitted to his prayer when he met with his Father. So this morning, then, I want to look at this passage in a couple of different ways, first by seeing the prayer modeled by our Lord and then considering how that applies to us here. First modeled, secondly applied. So first, this scene in Luke chapter 22 takes place on the Mount of Olives. This was a place that Jesus knew very well, a place His disciples knew very well. It was just outside of Jerusalem, about 2,000 feet above things, uh, and, and he and his disciples would often uh, get away to the mount uh, to find rest and refreshment. Uh, most importantly, Jesus would often withdraw himself uh, to the Mount of Olives to uh, have and enjoy uh, uninterrupted prayer, sometimes all night long. This night, however, was different. Earlier that evening, Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. Earlier that night, he had talked about one who would betray him. We know that to be Judas. Earlier that night, he spoke with Peter about denying him three times. There was the, the weightiness, the gravity 
of the cross looming in Jesus' mind and heart. Now Jesus leads the eleven up on the mount, and here's how Luke describes it, verse 39, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Jesus, humanly speaking, was all alone. Yet, we're invited into this holy place. Doesn't it feel almost as if we're standing here on holy ground, being able to listen in to Jesus' prayer? This wasn't an ordinary prayer. Luke tells us in verse 44 that Jesus here in this prayer was in agony that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This word translated agony is a word for the bitter striving of a fierce conflict. The bitter striving of a fierce conflict. This was intense straining, striving, struggling, physically, mentally, Emotionally, spiritually, Jesus' entire being was fully engaged in this conflict. But why? Why was Jesus in such agony? Was it because he was thinking about the, the physical crucifixion that awaited him? Well, many had been crucified before him and didn't experience what Jesus was, was experienced in this personal anguish, so was there something else? Well, it wasn't so much the physical death that Jesus feared, although that should never be minimized. Death by crucifixion was the most gruesome form of bodily torture, but far, far worse was the cup, the cup that he was about to drink. This is why he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The cup in the Old Testament referred to one's portion, one's lot. Sometimes it's used positively. Think of Psalm 23, my cup overflows. But more often than not, the cup is used in a negative sense, such as Psalm 11, verse 6, upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be their portion of their cup. What Jesus prays that he might avoid is the cup of the full fury and wrath of a holy God against sin. If Jesus goes to the cross, he knows he's going to the cross as the sacrificial lamb, as the substitutionary atonement, as the one who would take upon our sins, as the one who would bear the full judgment against all the sins that we have ever committed against God. He knew that he would need to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very last dregs. 
John Kelvin put it like this. His horror was not then at death itself, but because he had before his eyes the dreadful tribunal of God and the judge himself armed with inconceivable vengeance. Kelvin said, it was our sins, the burden of which he had assumed, that pressed him down with their enormous mass and tormented him grievously with fear and anguish. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus is one person, boys and girls, one person with two natures. He has a divine will and a human will. And while these must never be divided, they certainly must be distinguished. According to His divine will, He was in perfect accord with His Father's plan. However, it was according to His human will that He pleaded with the Father to let this cup pass. In this sense, humanly speaking, He did not want to experience all that the cross would require Him to undergo. I want, you to, I want you to understand this, but I want you to try to feel this and grasp this point. Jesus went to the cross willingly, but not as some superman whose divine will swallowed up the human will. No, for Jesus, the very thought of the cross was excruciating. One says, the wonder of the love of Christ for His people is not that for their sake He faced death without fear, but that for their sake He faced it terrified. Sometimes we think about Christ and we forget His full humanity. And we conclude that, well, it couldn't have been that difficult for him because he's God, he's the Son of God, and so he did what he had to do. But I want you to think this morning about his human will striving fiercely. Father, if you are willing, if there be any other way possible, Philip Reichen says, think of the darkest place you have ever been. Think of the place where you were alone in your suffering and all your worst fears were about to come true. Think of the place where the one thing you wanted was the one thing God had determined you could not have. Think of the place where you were trapped and there seemed to be no way out. Think of the place where you wished to God that you could be anywhere else in the universe except in the place where you were. And Jesus went to that dark place and darker still. And yet, brothers and sisters, here's the beauty, here's the glory of this passage. 
Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's as if Jesus said, I will go, not because it's easy, but because my food is to do the will of my Father. I know that I must. I know that this is the only way to purchase a people. And so I lay down my life willingly. I offer myself in complete surrender. I give up my own comfort. Nothing motivates me more than doing the will of my Father, even the death of the cross, as the wrath-bearing curse for sinners. You see, that's the Jesus who teaches us to pray this way. Not some aloof, indifferent, unsympathetic person a million years away, removed from our suffering and our experience and our temptations. No, one who has been there and, and been even further than you and I will ever have to go in our suffering. It's remarkable. He says in Hebrews chapter 4, the word says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Lord, and he got to the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you, do you begin to see that he taught them as one who had gone there himself? And he then gives grace to those who must go there as well. What does Jesus mean for us to seek from the Father in the petition, your will be done? Let's consider the application. Don't run past this uh, line in the petition it's not just a catchy tagline, it's uh, important, on earth as it is in heaven. What does Jesus mean when he says, your will be done, comma, on earth as it is in heaven? Why does Jesus include that? I think Jesus intends to remind us of the allegiance and obedience and submission uh, that the angels offer to the Father and offer to King Jesus in heaven. Listen to Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. This is why the angelic hosts exist in heaven, to do the will of their Father, to do the will of the King, to offer Him honor and obedience and reverence and worship. 
Our confessional standards point this out. The Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer 192, says we are prone to rebel against His Word, to repine and murmur against His providence. Is that true? Is that true? And we are wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh. Make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to your will in all things with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 124. Help us and all men to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help everyone carry out the work he is called to do as willingly and faithfully, here it is again, as the angels in heaven. That's what Jesus means when he teaches us to pray, your will be done. Make us as willing and as eager and as enthusiastic and as submissive as the angels are in heaven, as yielding as them. Kelvin said, my heart I give thee, Lord, promptly and sincerely. How does this apply? First, to Scripture. When Jesus teaches His disciples to pray, your will be done, He is not asking His disciples to to ask God to unpack the, the mysteries of His divine hidden will. This is where our minds often go in discussions of the will of God. We want to know what His will is for our lives in this particular area, Uh, where to go to college, whether to get married or not, uh, what to do for a living, decisions that we need to make. But I want you to see this. What Jesus, I think, is teaching His disciples is, is, is to ask the Father to subdue their wills to the revealed will of God. That is to say, the Word of God. Jesus Jesus knew this was the will of God. He knew that this was fulfilling the Scriptures for Him to go to the cross and rise again for our justification. So in His prayer, He wasn't wasn't trying to peek behind the, the hidden will of God, trying to understand the totality of the mystery of the divine being, He wasn't so much trying to discern what he should do next. He was asking in this petition, help me to submit to what is clearly before me. There's a great passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Paul, the apostle, says, for this is the will of God. And then he gives the answer. Ready? Here it is. Here's God's will for your life. Okay, write it down. Here's God's will for your life. I've got the answer according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. (laughs) I hope you're not disappointed. I wish, I wish that I had heard that or listened to that. I probably did hear it. I wish that I had heard that when I was in high school, college, This is the will of God for you, Mike, your sanctification. 
God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be conformed more to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning as a Christian, as one of his disciples, if you're resting in him, he, he, he also intends for you to grow in, in Christ-likeness. If you're here this morning as an unbeliever, his desire is that all men would be saved, and he calls you this morning to repentance and faith in him. And then he calls you to a life of holiness. He calls us to conformity. Your will be done, in other words, is a petition asking God to subdue our wild, unyielding, unsubmissive hearts and bring them into conformity with the Bible, with the clear revelation. This is a prayer that we would be people of the book. My biggest problem is not primarily that I don't understand the Bible although there's things about it I don't understand. My biggest problem primarily is that so often I don't want to listen to the Bible if I'm honest. At least the parts that make me uneasy or uncomfortable. Uh, last week at Grace Fellowship, we unpacked the petition, Your Kingdom Come. And every day when I wake up, the question is, who will reign on the throne of my heart? Will King Jesus, who already reigns and is Lord of all things, or will I reign? Because if I'm honest, a lot of times I want to reign. I think I make a decent king. But the word reorients me, and the people of God reorient me. And my wife reorients me, my kids, the spirit. I make a lousy king. Your will be done. Instead of exhausting your energies and resources trying to figure out what God's hidden will of decree is, let's, let's get this straight. He has revealed his will in his word and to be a follower of King Jesus, we cannot choose the things we like and ignore the things we don't like. We're called to die to ourselves daily. We're called to obey his word, all of it. But this prayer is also asking God to enable us to submit ourselves and our wills to his sovereignty. His sovereignty. Let's be clear, this doesn't mean we can't boldly ask God to act. We can. This doesn't mean we can't ask God to change our circumstances. We can. This doesn't mean we can't ask God boldly to heal our diseases and to use the chemo to remove the cancer and to intervene to restore that relationship. We can. We can. We can pray boldly about all things. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane teaches us that it is okay to pray if there be any other way. And so we pray boldly. But it ultimately teaches us that the best way is not our own will, but God's will. A 
So often, I, I think I know better than God. And I can easily play this game in my mind of the if-onlys. If only this, if only that. If only God would give me what I want instead of this. But what if, what if what God wants is actually best? What if, what if God is not out to get you, but is saying no because that's actually better for you and more glorifying to Him? What if? Nancy Lee DeMoss Walgamuth said, God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God knows. God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God knows. I'm not suggesting that that's an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Nor am I implying that we can't ask boldly and come with confidence to the throne of grace asking God to remove this or to restore this. But what if, what if God knows what he's doing? Back in 2000 on Good Friday, James Montgomery Boyce was diagnosed with inoperable cancer. And here is what he told his congregation. When things like this come into our lives, he said, they are not accidental. It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something slipped by. God does everything according to his will. We've always said that. But what I've been impressed with mostly, he said, is something in addition to that. It's possible, isn't it, to conceive of God as sovereign yet indifferent. God's in charge, but he doesn't care. But it's not that. God is not only the one who is in charge, God is also good. Everything he does is good. If God does something in your life, would you change it? If you'd change it, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. Jesus is teaching us, loved ones, in this prayer, this petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven He's teaching us to offer ourselves to our Heavenly Father in complete submission and absolute total surrender to the good, perfect, and pleasing will of our sovereign God who through Christ is our Father, which is the way that Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
What then shall we say to these things, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with us and with Him graciously give us all things? The one who modeled this prayer in Gethsemane actually did what he said. Not my will, but yours be done. For him, for Jesus, meant going all the way to Calvary. Fulfilling the mission that the Father had given him. Paying the price for our sin. So that we could be forgiven through his precious blood if we repent and believe in him. And so that by the work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we might learn more and more to yield ourselves to our Heavenly Father, who not only is in control of everything in your life today, but also is perfectly good and wise. And he knows what he's doing. Because he went further than any of us could ever dream. Jesus Christ not only prayed the prayer, but he went all the way so that we will never have to go through the level of suffering that he experienced. That's what we mean and should mean when we pray, your will be done. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. It's a dangerous prayer. But it's a liberating prayer. It's a freeing prayer. It's a transforming prayer. I offer myself to you promptly and sincerely. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are our faithful Father. And you are our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us to pray this way as one who actually prayed this way in the garden, who submitted his will fully and completely and entirely to your plan for him so that he might purchase our place, so that he might rescue us from hell, so that he might redeem us and reconcile us. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to offer ourselves, our lives, our minds, our bodies, our plans, our families, our work, our past, present, and our futures into your sovereign and good hand. Father, we don't know uh, all of the mystery of your will. 
but we know that if you are willing to give up your only begotten son for us, then you will take care of us. You will walk beside us. You will sustain us. So make us yield, O Lord, in full submission to your plan and to your word. And Father, as we do it, give us joy and help us to be a blessing to those around us as we die to self and yield to you for the sake of Jesus and his glory. In whose name we pray, amen.